All right. Well, yeah, we've done like three uh, kind of introductory sessions uh, looking at the reason or, or well, a lot of things, just kind of types and shadows in general and it, maybe some of the reasons that the Lord uses types and shadows. Um, and we've talked about, uh, let's see, oh, the three major categories, as far as I can see them, of, of uh, types and shadows in, um, in the Old Covenant. And the, th- the three major pictures of the cross, I guess, which w- with the surrounding uh, context there as, as pictures of Christ. And uh, and so tonight I want to kind of get going right into Genesis. You know, we could spend a lot of time um, in in so many things here. I've been reading through Genesis one the last week, and and the things that I I feel like I was seeing so, some some new things there in Genesis one, and some of those I'll get to next week, I think. But uh, today, I want to just I want to focus our attention on the reality of creation. Um, God created. Everyone knows that God created. But I, as always, I kind of want to see if we can take a step back and ask some really fundamental questions that we almost always have assumptions involved with. We always, you know, you know how we do this. I'm sure you've all probably seen this, that in the absence of spiritual understanding, spiritual light, the natural mind fills in the gaps. It just naturally does that. It just, it fills in whatever you do not know from the Lord, you think you know from your own uh, observations or, or, or things you've seen or heard or whatever. And, and so it's always just it's always kind of my practice and it's always just a good idea I think to take as far as many steps back as you can see there are to take. I mean go back as far as you can to the beginning of where questions begin and start to start to seek the Lord there. Um Assumption is the biggest enemy of knowing the truth because assumption, by definition, assumption is your thoughts about God. That's what, I mean, that's what, I mean, in other words, you, let me put it the other way around. Your thoughts about God is uh, are assumptions. They don't come from God, they come from you, and therefore they, they, um, they need to be replaced by the truth. And so, Creation. When we think of the word, at least when I think of the word creation, the first thing that comes to my mind is just something physical, something made, something that God made. But a while back, when I started to, the Lord started dealing with me about this word creation. What what is creation? Why did God create? And the the thing that started to become clear to me is that creation has a purpose. I mean, God made God didn't have to make anything, and and the fact that He actually involves Himself in making something that has physical, natural form has to have a motive behind it. it has to have some some reason that was driving Him to make 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 something, and and so at that time in my heart, the word creation and glory started to be uh, tied together, tied together in my heart, creation. And glory, uh, and that's that's part of what I want to present to you tonight is that uh, everything was created for glory. There's nothing that 
God created that was for another purpose, that had another intention. And, and ultimately, and I've, I've shared on this before, uh, but ultimately, every human heart, every, every Christian heart needs to come to a place sooner or later. Whether, unfortunately, whether it's after we die or before we die or whatever, it should be, you know, while we're still in these earthen vessels. Sooner or later, all of us should come to a point where the greatest motivation in our heart is the glory of God. Now, that's not something you can just um, cough up, you know, or, or stir up or whatever. You can't just decide you're going to be motivated for the, by the glory of God. First of all, you have to see glory. In other words, in, in the language of the creation story here in Genesis chapter 1, first of all, you have to let God say, let there be light. You don't even know what glory is until God shines the light of the the knowledge of the glory in the face of Jesus Christ in your heart, like Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. You don't even know what glory is, let alone come to be motivated by glory. But the Lord will deal with your heart. And this, this is something I can promise you because it's just... It's just part of what he does. It's it, it's the way he 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 directs the the soul of every human being that will let him. He will take your heart in such a way that that he he will direct your heart in such a way that you come to be motivated by his glory more than anything else. And 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 whatever whatever it was that began your search for the Lord, and it usually has to do with personal need, and that's not bad. I mean, you you came to the Lord first of all because. Of some understanding of personal need, you needed forgiveness, you needed new life, you needed—I don't know—you uh, you needed some salvation. It was some, it was some some personal need, uh, uh, some personal motivation that that drew your heart to the Lord. That's good. That's how everybody starts. But somewhere along the way, if if you let the Spirit of God have His way in your heart, you begin to trade in your motivation. For a new motivation. In other words, it's not something you you even consciously do. It's not something you have to worry about doing. It's just something that begins to happen in your heart. Sooner or later in this journey, God's motivation begins to become your motivation. God's expectation, though, as, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter four, the one. It, it, unfortunately, it, it's translated hope. It says we have there's one hope, but that word hope is is um, as we've talked about many times is is the Greek word expectation, not hope. It's not wishful thinking. It's a it's the assurance of something that is uh, coming forth because it is there. And the expectation of 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 God begins to be your expectation. What is God's expectation? Well, you see it right here in Genesis chapter one. But then you see it again in Genesis chapter 2, and then you see it again in Genesis chapter 3, and you see it in Revelation 21. I mean, you see it throughout the entire, every single place in so many different pictures and shadows. You see God, God's motivation. What is it? Why did he create? What was on his heart? And you can, you can, you can say it in just a simple phrase, although the Lord has to fit, like every phrase, the Lord has to fill up this phrase with spiritual substance and reality. God created for glory. God created to reveal himself, to make himself known and experienced, and to to create something that would both bear in itself, reflect and bear his image, and cause an increase of his self-revelation, his glory. And 
you'll, you're never ever going to convince yourself to be motivated by glory. But if you keep seeing Christ, if you keep moving forward in this journey of truth, the spirit of truth, the spirit of the Lord is going to bring you to a place where the expectation of glory. I mean, what, that's what Paul says. What, what, what is the, what is the greatness of Christ in you? I mean, Christ is in you. That's awesome. That is that in itself is incredible. But what is Christ in you? Paul says it's the expectation of glory, not the expectation of some future glory in some faraway time and place. No, get that out of our mind. You know. Christ in you is the glory of God, and the expectation is that your soul be filled in every corner, in every in every corner of that land purchased by the blood of the Lord, filled with the glory of God. You see that again in Romans chapter five, that we we glo- we exalt in the expectation of glory, that we have both by grace. Uh, and through faith we have justification. He says not only this, but also through by by faith we have access into this grace in which we stand, and and, and even we rejoice even in our tribulations and all of that. And and and, he, and he, what he says there is that we have this expectation. We rejoice in the expectation of the glory of God. And and maybe some other time we'll talk more about glory and just kind of the more about what what is glory and how God glorifies himself in in types and shadows how God glorifies himself in spirit and truth how the how second uh, Corinthians chapter 3 the entire chapter is about coming from the glory of the former to the glory of the latter all the prophets talked about the glory of the first compared to the glory of the second the glory of the former house the glory of the latter house there's glory God glorified himself in the earth in types and shadows and natural pictures and that's what we're going to talk about tonight in 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 uh, in Genesis chapter 1 God glorified himself in in physical pictures, types, shadows, natural creation, and then he glorified himself in a far greater way in his son through the cross. So Jesus on his way to the cross says, Father, the hour has come to glorify the son of man. And and and, and just then a voice comes from heaven and says, Jesus says, therefore, Father, glorify your name. And the Father says, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. I have glorified it in in the natural creation, in a covenant creation, in in a temple, in a tabernacle, in sacrifices and offerings and fire and smoke and and exodus and all this stuff. I have glorified it, and I'm about to fulfill all of those pictures in you. You know, so the Father's audible voice from heaven speaks about this desire. I have glorified. I have done it one way. I'm about to do it the, the, the greater way. And Paul talks about in Second Corinthians chapter three that the that the glory of the uh, uh, the second glory, the glory of spirit and truth, the glory of of of, of God and the face of Jesus Christ. If you compare that glory to the former glory, the glory of natural creation, the glory of, the glory of Israel, the glory of Solomon, uh, the 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 former glory has really has no glory at all compared to the to the latter glory, the greater glory. Which glory, by the way, lives in you? We are the ones who are seeing in a mirror the glory of God in us and being transformed into the same image. We are the ones, Paul says, uh, whenever Christ, your life, is revealed, then you are revealed together with him in glory. How are you revealed together with him in glory? Because 
glory lives in you, and you live in glory. And he has brought many sons to glory. And anyway, I'm getting ahead of my, or I'm getting off somewhere, I don't know. But my, my point is that all of creation had this motivation. Creation was motivated by glory. Creation wasn't an experiment on God's part. It wasn't. A, it wasn't because he was bored and like he picked up a lump of clay and just wondered what he could make with it. It wasn't to make something pretty. It wasn't to make something interesting. It wasn't to pass the time. You know, he'd been he'd been doing nothing for eternity past and decided to whip something up. You know, it's not like that. Creation was had a purpose involved for it. The creating wasn't the purpose. Things were created for a purpose. And the purpose was the glory of God. And so, you know, kind of standing back kind of more from a pastoral point of view, my hope is that uh, that every one of us, you know, Paul was a man who was governed, motivated, moved by a motivation for the glory of God. And... Uh, he didn't care whether he lived or died in the body. He just cared that in all things God be glorified in him, through life or through death. He says, "You know, uh, what, that 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 that's a man that that was governed by God's motivation, by 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 the desire for all things to come to a state of glory. That is to say, Christ formed in you, because that the only way that things actually come to a state of glory in the new covenant, in, in the fulfillment of all pictures, is when the Son of Glory, the Lord of Glory, is filled, is filling up His new creation with Himself. It's not, not ever going to be something you do with your hands, or, 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 or you say with your mouth, or, or you a place that you go to with your body. It's glory is a is a is a, is a person. Is a relationship, is a union, is a life, is a light, is a is is God's uh, revelation of Himself, and the place where that becomes reality is in the soul, and the way that that becomes reality is when the Son of Glory, the Lord of Glory, fills up His land with Him, with His kingdom, with His government. All these pictures, I just kept saying these things, and Genesis one is just coming to my mind in like ten different places. It's just it's all right there in the beginning, and some of it we'll look at today. Some of it we'll look at next time because it's it, it's just too much to, to, to get through here in, in like an hour. But but going back to my my previous statement, a cre- the, the creation of God. What is a creation? I I, I have uh, in the last couple of years this phrase a state of glory is what comes to my mind when I think of a creation. God. The creation, or you could say it this way: the the natural creation was a universe of of God's self-expression. Okay, that's just another way of saying a state of glory: a universe of self-expression. And the seven days of creation, everything God does in these seven days, is, in some way or another, bringing creation into. A state of self-expression, starting with "let there be light." He, he, he doesn't just—he's not just the, the seven days of. He could have. You understand, of course, that he could have just like snapped his fingers or whatever and had all of it done in one second. It's not like it t- actually took seven days. 
you know what I'm saying? It, it actually it didn't need to take seven days or whatever people, however people understand that seven periods of time or, or, or you know I don't get into the debates about that because I don't I don't think it matters one way or another. God, God, God. Uh, I mean, it's it, it, God's not trying to to demonstrate time periods. He's trying to demonstrate Christ. And you know, I, I have no problem with believing that there were f- seven literal twenty-four hour periods of time. But but wh- wh- whether it was or not, um, the point is that God is bringing to creation, br- or better to say it this way, bringing His creation into a state of glory where all things are expressive of Himself. That's what the seven days are all about. It's not like it took him seven days to do it. You know what I mean? It's not like he he couldn't get it all done in the first day. You know, he did, he he had to take a breather. It's that you see a progression in a number in the number seven, which always kind of speaks of completion or totality. You see a progression towards something. What's it toward? It's toward rest. It's toward this state of perfection. A rest where everything is perfectly aligned with the mind of God, the purpose of God for his for his creation. And so, it, 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 everything is so, so, so intentional. It's, it's not happenstance. It's not just telling you how long it took God. It's not like that. It, everything is so intentional. And it's, it's what you see there is a, a progression from, first he creates something. Okay, and then there's a progression towards a particular state called, that he calls rest, in which everything that is created is in a state of a perfectly good shadow. I mean, in, in the old creation, it was all a shadow; it wasn't the substance, but it was a perfectly good shadow. And so, um, nothing was made. Just because it was interesting, you know. I mean, I know there's some pretty weird uh, fish at the bottom of the ocean, like six miles down there or something. That that it, you know, you, you kind of wonder was God just you know just running out of ideas and decided to make some really weird things. I don't understand how everything points or everything reflects His image. I feel like I've seen bits and pieces of how a lot of things do. Um, I mean, I've seen I've seen natural creation testify of spiritual reality in, in lots of little ways. Um, you know, the ones I often mention, just that are, that are so obvious you can't hardly deny them, are how just Jesus uses this: a seed dies, goes into the earth, and you think it's gone, and then it comes out again. And and, and not only does it come out again, it comes out in a greater form with a greater increase and a harvest of the one seed and many and. What a picture of, of resurrection. What a picture of, of the cross. You see plants living by light. You see light also bringing life. That's a weird thing. God didn't have to make plants use what we call photosynthesis to live and grow. And yet he created all, all living plants have this, you know, this, this, this process where light causes growth and life and, and plants bend toward the sun or else they die. You know, and and you know, it, it, you could you could just look through, you know. Another the other really obvious one that I always talk about is the whole you know, uh, uh, caterpillar cocoon butterfly thing. You know, and not not just that's just the one that we always talk about, but there's tons of insects that that do that whole you know those those stages of of development where this ugly thing that doesn't seem to have 
beauty or liberty or flight or anything. It goes into death, what appears to be death, and then emerges as a new creation. And, you know, there's just so many pictures like that in natural creation. It's not, it's not a, um, it's not chance. You know, God didn't send Christ to the cross, die, put him in the grave, pull him out, and cause him to be a new creation. I mean, cause us to be a new creation in him and, and and us to be the dwelling place of God as this totally new and greater creation and then say, you know what, that's kind of like a butterfly. I never thought of that, you know. Now, the substance was first and then the shadow of the butterfly was created to, to bear the image of it. First, there was always the substance and then, in fact, I have a little diagram here I was just going to put up here. Let's see here. Share. Uh, okay. I don't know if you can see that. It's not a very complicated diagram, but it just shows that the substance was good. And the substance was the Word. The Word of God. Before creation, there was the Word. What was the Word? It was Why is, why is Jesus called the Word? Jesus is called the Word because He is the full communication of God. What are, what are our words? Our words are just attempts to communicate ourselves. They're, they're an attempt to take what is real inside of us and communicate it to someone else. That's what words do. Well, Jesus is the word of God in exactly that way. It is the, Hebrews 1 says that he is the exact representation of his nature, the express image of his being or whatever. And, and, and Jesus, the word before creation, had the full substance of everything that God desired. Now the natural creation came out from the Word and and and, uh, and and points back to the Word, and so when God created the earth and said it was good, it was. It's not good because of any inherent goodness. I mean, there's nothing really good about the natural sun except for the fact that it bears the image of a spiritual, eternal light. There's nothing good about um, separating the sea from the land except that that is an awesome picture we'll get to eventually in some other places of... um, of God separating His own land from 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 sea from in an in in uninhabitable uh, death from from something that man cannot live in and and creating a place for His own life and increase and glory and kingdom and and, and so these things he, he starts to create and he says that they were good because they bore the image of the substance which was before creation. It's really important that we understand that everything created that is good has, in a sense, you could say it has borrowed goodness. It doesn't have inherent goodness. It has goodness like, uh, sometimes I use the analogy of of the moon. Uh, The moon is a good light at night. But the the moon is only a good light in as much as it is reflecting the light of the sun. It's not a good light as a source of light. It's only good to the measure that it's reflecting the light of something that actually is a source of light. In fact, when it's a real skinny little sliver, it's not a very good source at all. It's not reflecting very much. But to the, when it's a full moon, it's reflecting quite a bit, and you can go outside on a on a pitch-dark night and see like it's day when there's a full moon, to some, you know, at least to some extent, because the, lo- the, 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 the moon is a good light 
because it bears the reflection of, of the substance. Everything in natural creation was good in that way, and to the degree that it testified of him who existed before creation. And and so that that's why scripture says it in a bunch of places in a bunch of different ways that that all things were created by the word of God or that that in John chapter 1 says you know all things were made by him and nothing that was made uh how does it say it nothing was made I'm going to read it um here we go Uh, he was in the world, and the world was made through him. Oh, no, I'm, I, I, that's actually another place where it says that. The world was made through him. Earlier it says, all things, in verse 3, all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. Well, that's not just saying, that's not just saying that Jesus did it. I mean, it is... You can. That's fine to say, because because what I'm saying that is because like, if you look that up, look that verse up in the commentary, it's going to say, well, you know, Jesus is the one who actually made. God gave gave the the role of creation to Jesus. It's saying a whole lot more than that. It's saying that the Word is that out from which all creation came forth, the natural creation and the new creation. All of it came out from Him to bear His image. All of it came out as a representation of Him, like a shadow comes out from a person, or like a painting comes out from a uh, from 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 what an artist is seeing. It comes out from the substance. So it's not just saying that Jesus was the guy that you know the, the person of the Trinity that like waved his hand and made the earth. It's saying that all things were made out from Him to bear His image. Um, there's another verse where uh, it says in Hebrews um, chapter. 11 verse 3 it says let's see here by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible I love that verse that's kind of what I drew a picture of here that the things which are seen were not they didn't come out of other things that were seen they came out of something that was invisible they came out of the word they were framed by the word of God that is to say that everything that God made he made to bear the image of that word okay and so Jesus is more than just the member of the Trinity that created he is the th- the the image that was being represented by creation. He's the one that creation was bearing the image of. And so God is is creating, and he's by the way, he's creating by his word, right in the beginning. It's he says, let there be light. He says, let there be this, let there be that. The word is actually he's creating by his word, okay, and by his spirit. And the the uh the, the, the word is c- causing a a physical representation of himself. That's what creation. That's what. I, that's how I want you to understand creation. I mean, at least that's how the Lord has dealt with my heart about creation. God made a physical representation of spiritual realities in His Son. And and when He was going through that creation, saying it was good, it was good, it was good, it was good for a very specific reason. It's not just like he liked it, or he stood back and said, "Man, I wondered if I could do that. I did. It's great, you know. It's not, it's not like that. Uh, 
you know, I, I, I wondered if I could stretch a giraffe's neck like 14 feet. That's amazing. I, I really did it, you know, or it's, it's not, it's not like that. It's, it's, it's that it was good because it bore the image of him who is good. Remember how the guy comes up to Jesus and says, good teacher, and Jesus says, stop right there. No one is good. Nothing is good but God alone. You shouldn't really call me good unless you understand me to be God, which I am. You know, he could have, he could have said all that. He didn't. But he was trying to keep them from throwing around this word good and attaching it to things that weren't the substance. Goodness was defined by, uh, by him who is good. Okay, so I'm going really slow here, and I can tell this is going to take me a few weeks, but... Um, in the in the in the in the Bible, what you're going to find, uh, and, and you can really, I'll try to demonstrate this to some degree uh, as far as I can get tonight. But what you're going to find is that there there are really three um, things that God calls a creation. Uh, three things that he uses that language to describe. I'm not, I'm not trying to say something new or different or weird about the Bible. It's just kind of, we, we usually just think of creation as the earth, you know, the, or the natural heavens and the earth or something. But um, there was, there of course, one of the creations is the natural physical heavens and earth, the natural uh, material creation. And yet God also speaks about his covenant creation of Israel um, in the same language, he calls it. He speaks of it in the language of creation. He actually calls it a number of times, especially in the prophets. He calls it heaven and earth. Sometimes, when he's directing himself, when he's when he's when he's speaking to Israel, he says he calls them heaven and earth. Um, and and that's really interesting. Sometimes that strikes people as a little bit weird. And and if it doesn't make a whole lot of sense right now, just leave it alone. You know, whatever. Um, but uh, the other one that I don't think anyone would uh, argue about because it's so plain is the uh, is the new creation, the new creation in Christ. Okay, which is also a new Israel, a new covenant. Okay, so, that, so it kind of gathers together the new creation, kind of gathers together the the natural material. It, it's the, not, when I say gathers together, I mean it, it it becomes the fulfillment of both the natural material creation and the old covenant uh, covenant creation of God, and and it kind of gathers both of those pictures together and puts them into one uh, one new creation in Christ. So, in in each of these things, um, let me see if I can mute some folks here. In in each of these creations, <clears throat> there's a there's a pattern that repeats itself. Okay, and the pattern has to do with what what I was trying to describe earlier. It has to do with God's desire to establish a state of glory. In in each case, the the creation starts in one condition and God works to bring it to a, in my language, a universe of self-expression. That's what God did with the natural creation in the first seven days. He created, you could say, you could say it like this. He added to creation the, or he formed Christ in creation. He formed pictures of Christ. Whether you're talking about the 
you know, right, everything about it, the light, the heavens, the earth, the increase, the government, the man, the rest, the kingdom, all these things that he begins to add to natural creation are bringing it to a state of glory. A state of self-expression. He does the exact same thing with Israel. He finds them, he describes in, in, in uh, lots of places, in Deuteronomy 32 and Ezekiel 16. Uh, he talks about how he found them like squirming in their own blood and in this state of death and, and emptiness and nothingness. And he begins, he, he, uh, he begins to glorify himself in them. And he deals with them in the same pattern, according to the same way that he dealt with the natural creation. He first raises them up and seats them in the heavens. He still, he deal, I'll get to this in a minute. But he, 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 and then, and then that, that heavenly reality, reality starts to touch the earth and starts to have an increase and in a government and a man that reigns over it and unto a state of rest. And rest you see in the seven days. The seventh day is rest. Rest you see in Israel. Joshua brings them into rest. And rest you see in Christ. And those three rests, incidentally, are... Um, are talked about really uh, plainly in uh, if you're interested in Hebrews chapter three and four, where the author says, "We you've heard it spoken of that there's a that God has a rest, and he he mentions the seventh day. He also mentions the rest that Joshua brings Israel into in the land, another picture of God's rest. And then he says, and yet there remains a rest. There's another rest." There's a, there, in other words, you could say there's the fulfillment of both of those rests. The seventh-day rest, the land rest, both of those rests find their fulfillment, their substance, in uh, a greater rest. And, uh, and what is that greater rest? It, it is the spiritual fulfillment of all of the pictures. It is Christ himself as... And again, we could, we could go on and talk about how Christ is rest, and in what sense does he bring us to rest, and what are we resting from, and what is it a freedom from, what kind of rest do we need, what kind of slavery are we, found, are we escaping, and, and liberty are we coming into. And all of those things are questions we'll get to when we get to the seventh day, or when we get to entering into the land, or whatever. But I'm just trying to say right now something very general, and that is that God makes something. Okay, he makes something, he creates something, and yet in its natural state, it lacks the fullness of Christ. I mean, in its in 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 the state of creation, even though it's not bad, it's not when he creates something, it's not evil, and yet it lacks it lacks Christ. It needs to be filled up in the language of Ephesians, filled up to the fullness of God. In the language of Galatians 4.19, I am in labor until Christ is formed in you. It lacks the, the fullness of Christ. And so, uh, so, so, so let's just look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. I mean, all that to get to the first verse. This is going to be a really slow <laughs> uh, study of the Old Testament. Just in case you're hoping to whiz through this in a few weeks, <laughs> it's not going to happen. Um, Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So you have a creation there. The first heavens and earth. And, 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 um, and you'll see 
you'll see a new heavens and earth that God creates in Christ. You'll see that that comes to be not a new planet. Now, Christians are all wanting a new planet and wanting, wanting to call it a new heavens and a new earth with like, you know, the heavens has bigger stars and the earth has nicer trees or something, I don't know, without pollution. That was the first heavens and earth. The second heavens and earth was a covenant creation in Israel. The third heavens and earth is a new heavens and earth. It's new in substance and nature and character and it's also in Christ where righteousness dwells. The new heavens and earth. He rolls up, Hebrews says, he rolls up the first heavens and earth, puts it away and then he creates a new heavens and earth in his son. Alright, that's a little bunny trail, but in the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. The earth was, now there's these three words I want you to pay attention to right here. The earth was formless, void, and dark. Okay, formless, void, and dark. Formless and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Now, these three descriptive words here are, I think, are interesting, because in, in, each, in each case... Uh, and each time that God talks about uh, uh, creating something, he creates it and it's good. It's not bad. When God creates something, it doesn't say, and the earth was evil, wicked, and corrupt. Now, the earth came to be evil, wicked, and corrupt, but only when the fallen man of Adam filled it with his own image. Okay, But when he created it, I mean, that was after the fall. That was after the lie. That was after Adam reproduced according to his kind and filled the earth with his image. But, before the fall, the earth was not evil, wicked, and corrupt. The earth was not bad. It was just lacking. These are three words that have to do with a lack. Formless, you could say, is, is, the, is the lack of uh, form, I guess. It's lacking form. It's lacking, something needs to be formed. Uh, void, it, it speaks of being empty or lacking substance. Darkness is obviously... Darkness isn't even a thing. It's just the absence of light. God, in the beginning, we'll get to this, but uh, God never said, let there be darkness. He didn't have to create darkness. Darkness was the absence of light. He just had to say, let there be light, and then he separated the light from the darkness. <clears throat> so darkness doesn't even really... Darkness is bad, but not. But it, but in a sense, it's not. It's not actually a created thing. It's just the absence of, 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 of something that, that, that represents Christ. And and so um, so the, the, these these three words to me they, they it's not like gross nasty and what I don't you know, I don't know it's just th these three words speak of of uh, absence lack it lacked something essential it, it lacked the form it lacked the substance it lacked the light of Christ it, in other words it was lacking glory you know immediately when you're born again you are a new creation. You are newly made, newly born of His Spirit immediately upon, and, and it's not. And, and and when you are born again, it's God doesn't look at His new creation and say it's wicked, corrupt, and nasty. But He can say that it, it lacks light, and it lacks form, and it lacks substance. Do you see the difference? That's what I'm getting at. What we're looking at here in in in, in this creation story is. God making something and then filling it with him with his son. So Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, you are a new anyone who is in Christ, behold a new creation, old things have passed away, behold the new has come. He doesn't say there's still a lot of old things. Well, there is a lot of old things that work in our unrenewed mind. 
but there's not it, from God's perspective, he didn't create a mixture. He didn't create a bunch, you know, a mix of the new with the old. He created something new where the old things were done away. And and yet and yet that new that new thing that God makes needs to be filled up with it uh, needs to be filled up with the image. Needs to be I like I like this verse. Needs to be conformed to the image of His Son. Romans chapter eight needs to be conformed to the image of His Son. Needs to be filled up with the fullness of God. And unfortunately for us, well, for, first, fortunately for the natural creation, there were two things, two persons of the Trinity there to accomplish that. The Spirit was there, hovering over the waters, and the Word was there. The Word was the one saying, let there be, let there be, let there be this picture of me. Let there be that image of me. Let there be this that increases and forms my nature and, or my picture in the earth. So the Spirit and the Word are there. And there and and, and 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 I want you to take this right into your own soul because this is where it belongs this is where it needs to go. The spirit and the and the word are like hovering over this new creation of God with one desire. They're they're there, they're ready, they're they're willing, they they've got the job description, they're they're on the job site, they're looking for room in your heart to do one thing. To to do what you see in, in, in Genesis chapter 1. To bring up, starting with, it all starts right here. Let there be light. That's how it starts in you. That's how it starts. That's how it started in the first creation. Let there be light. How did God create Israel? Well, he put a bunch of, a bunch of sinners in a blood-covered door and said, don't come out all night long until there is light. And they come out in the light of the new day. And then what does God do? He separates the light from the dark. He's, remember, Egypt tries to chase after them. And he, 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 he puts his, Egypt in the darkness and keeps Israel in the light. He separates the light from the darkness, his new creation. And then he separates the waters from the dry land. And his, and his, uh, his people get to walk on dry land, whereas Egypt drowns in the sea. And I don't know if you see the par- I mean, I, I, it's hard to miss, I think, you know, the parallels here. Each creation story bears the same details. What does he do in your heart? Well, first he, first he has to cause you to be born again by his spirit. And once you're a new creation, the first thing he wants to do, not the like seventh thing, not the third thing, the very first thing to begin to create glory in your soul, you need to see something. You need to see glory. And the very first thing that God wants to do in your soul isn't give you, uh, you know, children's church or something, or give you, tell you to go out and witness to your neighbor or all those things that people try to. I mean, none of that stuff is bad. It's just like it, it, it's got to start somewhere else. It's got to start with let there be light, or you have nothing to say. And so God says in your heart, let there be light. And he separates the light from the darkness. And that's the first thing that strikes a Christian that begins to see with the light of the Lord, to see by the revelation of Christ. You see it, you see a division. And you see a division between light and darkness. 
You see two totally different lands, two totally different creations, two totally different men separated, totally separated, divided by, divided by, an, uh, by, by a cross. And you see death on all sides, and you see a, a dry land where you can walk right through the middle of it. And, and, and I, I mean, the pictures are, are too, they're too perfect. I mean, I just, sometimes I just stand amazed at, at just, God is so brilliant. You know, like in Romans 8, where Paul just has to kind of stop what he's writing and say, Oh, the depths of the, of the, of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. Who can, uh, it's unsearchable. Who can understand? I mean, it's like he's kind of, you could just picture him like, you know, uh, 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 what's it called? Dictating the, uh, the the letter to his scribe or whatever, and it's just launching into a, you know, he can hardly bear it. He can hardly, he can hardly, and and the scribe just writes it all down, you know. I'm just going to put, that's not, that's not, that was a pretty cool poem, I'm going to write that down too. And, uh, and and that's that's just how it is with these with these pictures. So, so, um, so formless. Uh, void and and dark and God, God begins to add what was lacking and what was lacking is glory. What 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 God wanted for this new creation was Christ in you, the hope of glory. Uh, he wanted them, he wanted this new creation to 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 boast in the expectation of the glory of God. He wanted to bring many sons to glory. He wanted to to form glory in this creation, and that's what he does. So God begins to act upon his creation by his word and by his spirit. And the spirit's there. See, no one could ever say to God now in the new creation that, you know, uh, where is God? Where is God to teach me Christ? Oh no, that's what Paul says in Romans chapter ten. No one has to go down to the, to the, to the abyss and bring it up. No one has to go up to the heavens and bring it down. It's right there. It's hovering over you, waiting to form in you the glory of Jesus Christ. And and so it's I don't know. To me, that's that's so that's so awesome that he is. He is hovering over his new creation with just, just this just one desire, and it all begins. It all begins with "Let there be light." What's his purpose? He wants to make you into a world of self-expression of his own, not your self-expression. That's what he's trying to remove, actually. But he's, he he wants to bring you into. He wants to cause your soul to be his land, his kingdom, his increase. A world where God manifests himself. Where where God fills up uh, uh, Numbers 14, 21. As surely as I live, says the Lord, I will fill that land with the glory of the Lord. As the waters cover the sea, he says in the prophets, I will fill that land with the glory of the Lord. That's what he wants to do. And so, you know, it, it all starts with light, like I was saying. You know, and Christians, I don't know, it starts with light because you have to see glory to know what Christ is. If you don't see Christ, you're never going to know the difference between Christ and man's good ideas. You know, Christians are always trying to add things to the church, for instance, or to their own Christian lives that they think are they think are glorious things. You know, whether it's the way that they dress, 
or whether it's the, the size of their building, or whether it's the number of ministries they have in their church. Yes, well, what are you doing? I'm glorifying God. I, you know, I'm, I'm filling up the world with the kingdom of God. You know, how are you doing that? Well, I got this committee that meets on Tuesdays, bi-weekly. I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm being a little bit sarcastic there, but you can't fill... Well, first of all, glory is from God and is God working in you. So you can't just glorify something, period. But you're never going to even understand what glory is. You're going to think glory is stained glass windows. You're going to think glory is a really good choir, a really good church choir. You know, you're, you're going to think that glory is is uh, praying and fasting. You know, or you're going to think it's some kind of work that you do. You're going to separate it from Christ. That's what I'm saying. You're going to take the glory away from the Lord of glory unless you let God say in your heart, let there be light. Because only when light begins to shine do you even know what glory is. You're going to, you're, we're so blind. And we're not just blind. We are darkness. That's what Paul says in, in Ephesians chapter 5. Formerly you were darkness. It doesn't say formerly you struggled with some dark thoughts. He said formerly you were darkness. And now you are light in the Lord. And we're so dark. The natural mind is such a dark and, and scary place. It's so dark and horrible. It's so pitch black that you can actually think with a rational, natural mind that the glory of God is the size of your congregation. That's how stupid the natural mind is. You can actually believe that the glory of God is the beauty of the music that you're hearing on a Sunday morning. You can actually think that the glory of God is how big the church bank account is. Or how big the building project is. We're so confused that we can actually think the glory of God is something other than the increase of Christ in the soul. And not the increase of souls in a building. That's how dark it is. And so... Before anything else can happen to bring Christ to be formed in you, the very first thing that must happen is that your soul must fall on your face like a little child and say, Father, please let there be light. Let there be light where there is only darkness. Now, am I just making up this parallel? I don't think so because Paul in Second Corinthians chapter 5 let me go there real quick. Second Corinthians chapter, I'm sorry, four verse six. For it is God who commanded light. Four verse six. It is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness. A clear reference to Genesis chapter one. Who now has shown in our hearts the true darkness, the true place of darkness. Who has now shown in our hearts to give the light? What kind of light? The light of the knowledge. That is to say, the knowing. Of the glory, knowledge. Not I, mean, I say knowing because knowledge can sometimes sound like an intellectual idea, but I'm talking about the true knowing, a knowing of Him, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Paul is clearly, no questions about it, 
bringing the shadow into the substance, bringing the type and, and, and the picture into the fulfillment. And he's saying, guess where the darkness really... You thought the darkness was out in the atmosphere when before there was a sun. No, that was just the picture of darkness. The real darkness is in your heart. That's why Jesus said, <laughs> it just... You know, Jesus di- didn't didn't use a lot of superlatives. You know, he didn't he didn't really have to like exaggerate things like we do. You know, but he, when he said, "If the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? If what you're wa- if what you're calling light is darkness, if what you're walking by, if the light that shows you what is real is actually darkness, how incredibly dark is that darkness?" And so the and 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 friends, I mean, if, if if everything I've said tonight doesn't make any sense at all, let this one thing sink into your hearts. If we don't start with "Let there be light," every other day of creation, so to speak, every other thing that is built upon God's new creation is going to be wood, hay, and stubble, and the fire will consume it. It is going to be something of man, man's best ideas, maybe man's most Christian ideas, man's most religious ideas, man's ideas about Bible verses. It might look and sound really good, but if it doesn't have Christ as its source and substance, it is vanity. It is an expression of nothingness. It is empty. It is, in fact, if it's man, it's worse than empty, form, formless, and void. It is, or and dark. It is, it is actual rebellion and, and wickedness. And so, it all has to start with with let there be light, and and that's the pattern. That's the pattern in uh, in all three creations. I, I pretty much have already just said that. I, I kind of got ahead of myself in the, in, the, in the notes here. But the natural creation starts with let there be light. Israel comes out of, out of the door. They go into death. They come out in a new day, but not until there's light. Do not come out until the light of the new day, and then God separates the light there. So Israel begins with with uh, with it comes with you know a new birth through the Lamb through the blood and all of that. That's all true, but they come out in light, and God separates the light from the darkness. And this is exactly how it starts in the new creation. To all three creations are a creation of God, something that God kind of to summarize what we said tonight, and I'll stop here. But we can have a discussion time. But uh, all three creations are are purpose for a state of glory a universe of self-expression and all three of them are something that God creates for, for that purpose and they all, and, and to, to begin forming Christ and his creation God starts with light God starts with let there be light all right I'm going to stop the recording here